Let's open our Bibles to the Word of God in Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, one of the minor prophets. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, and we will read the whole of that passage of God's Word. And you'll notice that this chapter begins with the words, a prayer of Habakkuk. And that's good for us to keep in mind, even in connection with our text. Our text is a confession, a confession that is part of a prayer and therefore part of a request to God that he give us the grace to make that confession. Habakkuk 3, beginning at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath Remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea, that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, And they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation of thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation upon the neck. Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. 
When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. That's why we read God's word, and may God bless that reading to us. Now let's consider the words of our text, verses 17 and 18 of this chapter. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Thanksgiving, as you well know, beloved, has its origins in connection with farming. And that is evident in the application of our text, is evident from what the text mentions about those things too. Verse 17 is a description of matters that have to do with farming. And then verse 18 has to do with joy, that is, with joy and thanksgiving to God. What is obvious, though, is that verse 17 is not a description of how things are for us and how things have even gone for us in this past year. Verse 17 gives a very negative description of how farming has gone. The fig tree does not blossom. There is no fruit in the vines. The labor of the olive fails. The fields yield no meat, the flock is cut off from the fold, and there are no herds in the stalls. Verse 17 paints a description of total devastation and destruction. Nothing left. Everything is a failure. Again, that has not been the case for us. Things have gone well for us in this area. We have not had failed crops, but God has given to us a bountiful harvest. God has abundantly supplied for all of our earthly needs. And yet this word of God is applicable to us on this Thanksgiving day and applicable to us because this text sets forth the biblical principle concerning 
proper thanksgiving to God. And that principle is this. Thanksgiving of the believer to God is not determined by and is not dependent upon earthly things. Not determined by and dependent upon earthly circumstances. The child of God rejoices and the child of God gives thanks to God and is able by the grace of God to do so even when things are not going well in his or her life. So that even when earthly things, farming and income and health and earthly relationships and life in general is going badly for the believer, the believer is still thankful to God. We would all admit it is easier to be thankful to God when everything is going well. The Word of God sets before us the fact that for the child of God, he or she is also thankful when things are not going well because God tells us in Scripture, in everything, give thanks. Giving thanks always and for all things to God. That's how it ought to be for the child of God. So like so consider with me true joy and thanksgiving. That's our theme as we look at this text. True joy and thanksgiving. And we'll notice two things concerning that. First, the striking contrast. And secondly, the wonderful reason. True joy and thanksgiving. The striking contrast and the wonderful reason. The text sets before us a contrast that characterizes the child of God. It is a contrast that you will not find in an unbeliever. It is a contrast that the unbeliever cannot even understand. And that's because for the unbeliever, for the ungodly, Thanksgiving is always tied to earthly success and to earthly prosperity. And for the unbeliever, if he or she is not experiencing success and prosperity, not experiencing a time in his or her life when things are going well, then the unbeliever says, I have nothing to be thankful for. Nothing. I'm not thankful. That's the unbeliever. But that's different for the child of God. The child of God is joyful and thankful not only when things are going well in his or her life, but also when he or she is in the midst of trouble and even loss 
in life. The child of God is, un- is joyful and thankful not only when things in his or her life are as he or she would like them to be, but also when they are contrary to what our personal earthly desires are. The child of God is joyful and thankful not only when God has provided an abundance to him, but also when he or she is poor and destitute. The child of God is joyful and thankful not only when healthy and strong and able to go about life in the normal expected and desired way, but also when there is sickness and pain and suffering. Certainly, the child of God must be and is thankful when things are going well. As the Heidelberg Catechism states in Lord's Day 10, which Lord's Day concerns God's providence, which has everything to do with our Thanksgiving Day, Lord's Day 10 says we must be thankful in prosperity. And so as God's people, we are thankful for God's good gifts to us. The things that we would classify and refer to as good things. We're thankful for good crops. We're thankful for a good harvest. We're thankful for a good income. We're thankful for plenty of food to eat and to drink. We're thankful for good health and strength so that we're able to go about our work in this life, whether that work is in the home or in our education, in school, or in the workforce. We're thankful to God for the joys and for the pleasures of life. We're thankful to God for health and for successful surgeries and medical treatments that help to restore our health and our strength. We're thankful to God for our family and our friends. We're thankful to God for homes that are godly, for godly parents, for obedient children. We're thankful to God for the communion and the fellowship of the people of God. We're thankful to God for peace in our land that enables us as the church and the people of God to have freedom to worship. We count all of the earthly things that God has provided us and the list is endless. There is much to be thankful for and we may not take any of that for granted. We do well to give thanks to God today for all these things at every day. If we fail to be thankful, we sin. We sin against God. But the text, again, speaks of a thanks that is much more difficult than that. It speaks of a thanks that takes place, 
that occurs that characterizes the child of God when all good things have been taken away, when one's life is in ruins, when one experiences desolation, when one has nothing, nothing. Everything seems against the believer, but still he says, I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be thankful to my God. That is indeed a striking contrast, a contrast between the circumstances that the child of God is in and the thanksgiving and joy that characterizes him in those circumstances. Now the loss of things, the loss of earthly things is described in our text in very graphic language. The text speaks in terms of the agricultural life that characterized the nation of Israel and specifically here, the nation of Judah. And if we read verse 17, then we read it from that perspective. This is what they lost. The fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fail. The fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. Every crop, a failure, no figs, no olives, no corn or wheat or barley or grapes growing, no cattle, no sheep. Physically impossible, you would say, to stay alive. No food for today and nothing for tomorrow either. It would be the equivalent to us having a total economic collapse and disaster in our day. It would be equivalent to having a terrible drought in the land so that the crops have all shriveled up and dried. And perhaps a fire has come through and burned it all up because of how dry it all is. The fields producing absolutely nothing. And no one has any employment. No one has any money. No one has a home to live in. No one has food to eat. And perhaps on top of it all, terrible, even life-threatening sickness in one's life. Again, we have to admit that's not how it is for us. And for that reason, it's perhaps difficult even to relate to what the text is speaking of. The fields have produced well. The farmers have received a good yield. For the rest of us, we have received good income. 
We have been well supplied. We live in a time of prosperity. But what if it wasn't that way? What if we had absolutely nothing? Would we then have valid reason to be ungrateful? Would we then be justified in saying, I have nothing to be thankful for? Habakkuk, the prophet, a man of God, confessed in the midst of the desolation that he experienced, even when and while everything was bad for him, that he would rejoice and therefore by implication be thankful to God. He knew this devastation was coming. He knew that the judgments of God that would come upon the nation of Judah for their sins and as chastisements for them would be severe. He knew that things would be unbelievably bad for the nation of Israel And he knew as well that things would be unbelievably bad for himself. He would have hunger eating away at his stomach. He would have and experience the failure of all of the crops of the land. But he says, though I will experience such terrible loss and such bitter pain, in my life, still I will rejoice in the Lord. That, beloved, is true and proper thanksgiving. That is a thanksgiving that is not dependent upon earthly circumstances. That is a thanksgiving that when a person is surrounded by and experiencing catastrophe, when everything in his life is, he would say, wrong, still he rejoices, still he is glad, and still he is thankful to God. He doesn't wait until things improve before he gives thanks. He doesn't wait until things are ideal again before he is joyful and thankful. He doesn't wait until the troubles are over before he gives thanks to God. But in the midst of great earthly loss and trouble, he rejoices and he is thankful. Again, that's very hard for us to imagine. But if we can't imagine ourselves being in such circumstances, then certainly we would say, that's not easy. That's not easy. Not natural for any one of us to do this. Which shows it's only by a wonder and a miracle of God's grace that we do it.
But that brings us to the question, why? Why does the child of God still rejoice? Why does he rejoice always? How is he able when under such dire circumstances in life? Well, the text in verse 18 tells us why and tells us why by telling us what is the object, the object of the believer's joy and thanksgiving, what the believer focuses upon. And the believer focuses upon something that he has and that he will always have, something that he or she will never lose. Never lose. And what is that? That is God. That's what Habakkuk does. He is saying in the words of our text, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will join the God of my salvation. He is saying there, the object of my joy is not something earthly. The object of my joy is not something that I can see with mine eyes. And my thankfulness to God, therefore, is not determined by what is happening in my life. My thankfulness to God is not dependent, that is, on things being ideal in my life. But the object of my joy is God. The object of my joy is is, to use the word that he uses for God in the text, the Lord, Jehovah. The object of my joy is the God of my salvation, who is Jehovah, my covenant God, who is unchanging, who is the I am that I am, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the object of my joy. And that's the reason for my thanksgiving to God. A thanksgiving even in the midst of trouble. I joy in God as my Savior. I rejoice in His saving work in my life. That's where, beloved, true joy and true thanksgiving begins. It does not begin with things, but it begins with salvation. It does not begin with earthly riches, but it begins with Christ. We rejoice in God as the God of our salvation. We rejoice in God as our God. We rejoice in God who has saved us in Christ. We rejoice in the God who, whom we will never lose. We rejoice and we give thanks because we have God. And having God, we have Jesus Christ. And having Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Eternal life. And the object, beloved, of your joy 
and thanksgiving is Jehovah, the God of your salvation, then you realize you have something to be always joyful about and something always to be thankful for. That's in contrast to the unbeliever. A person who is not saved has nothing to be happy about, really, and nothing to be thankful for. He cannot rejoice about and be thankful for salvation because he doesn't have that. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is also this, or part of it is also this, that he cannot rejoice and be thankful for anything earthly either. Unbelievers have a Thanksgiving day, they think. But what are they thankful for? They cannot be thankful. They cannot be thankful because as an ungodly person, as one who is not a child of God, as one who is not saved by the grace of God in Christ, everything that they receive is not a blessing to them, but a curse to them. That's how it is for the ungodly. They cannot rejoice, really. They cannot really give thanks. They are constantly under the wrath of God because they do not have God as the God of their salvation. They're constantly under the wrath of God because they do not have Christ. In reality, the ungodly have nothing to be happy about and nothing to be thankful for. They ought to be thankful for the good gifts God gives them, but even those things are, because they are ungodly, they are the reprobate, those things are a curse to them. But for one who is saved, for one who confesses God is the God of my salvation, I have God, I have Christ, I have forgiveness, I have eternal life in the Son of God. Then, for him, there is the possibility and the reality of true joy and true thanksgiving. First, thanksgiving for salvation itself. The humble confession that the believer makes, it's unbelievable to me that God has chosen me to be one of his in Christ. It's unbelievable to me that he has redeemed and that he has saved and that he has blessed me with salvation. It's unbelievable to me because I am a wretched sinner, so often ungrateful and certainly unworthy, unworthy, thankful for salvation, but that thankful also for everything else, thankful for everything else because if you are saved by God in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything else that God gives to you is good is a blessing, the good things that we receive. We, ref we refer to them as good things, as positive things from the hand of God. Our life, our health, our money, our work, our family, our food, we are thankful to God for them. 
because they are blessings. He gives them in his favor to those whom he loves and has saved in Christ, but also those things that we refer to as evils in life. The sorrow, the heartache, the bitterness, the loneliness, the affliction, the sickness, the trouble. They're also blessings. Blessings because God is the God of our salvation. Blessings because God is not punishing us through those things. Christ was punished for our sin. Blessings because God is using them for our spiritual good. Blessings because God is using them to prepare us for and to bring us closer to when we will be with him in glory. Blessings. We can be thankful for that because God is the God of our salvation. If only, beloved, we would always remember that salvation is really all that matters. Salvation is a rich and a lasting treasure to which nothing earthly even begins to compare. And salvation is a treasure that lasts. Earthly things do not last. Even our Lord Jesus Christ told us that. Don't heap up to yourself treasures on this earth. Moth and rust will corrupt them. Thieves will break through and steal them. They will not last. Earthly things are unstable. You may have them today, but you could lose it all tomorrow. What is it that is sure? What is it that is fixed? What is it that is solid and firm in our lives as the people of God? It is our salvation. It will never change. And you and I will never lose that. We may lose everything else, but we will never lose Christ. We may lose everything else, but we'll never lose the salvation of our souls. We may lose all that is earthly, but we will never lose our heavenly and eternal riches and inheritance. Why not? Because God is the God of our salvation. God is sovereign in our salvation. And our salvation is his work from beginning to end. And our salvation is a work that he begins, a work that he continues, a work that he preserves us in as his beloved, as the apple of his eye, as those whose names are engraved on the palms of his hands. And it's a work that he will complete. He will finish it. So the believing confession is that confession which was made by Habakkuk. 
I have Jehovah as my God. I have Jehovah as the God of my salvation. And having him as my God and having him as the God of my salvation, I have all that I need, all that I need for this life and all that I need for eternity because having God as the God of my salvation, I have Jesus Christ. And in Christ, I am rich. I have an inheritance in heaven, an inheritance that you cannot put value to in terms of money, value to in terms of earthly riches and success and abundance. You cannot. You cannot value what you have in Christ in terms of earthly possessions. You cannot value what you have in Christ in terms of earthly pleasure or earthly success or earthly ease. Without God and without Christ, really, we have nothing. Nothing except that we are under the wrath of God. But with God as the God of our salvation and with Christ and with the salvation that God has given to us in his Son, with them, we are free. Free from the wrath of God and rich beyond measure and having everything that we will ever need. Everything. Including this. That what might seem crooked and even bad for me in this life in reality is not so. Because if I have God as the God of my salvation, as Jehovah, my faithful covenant God, then those seemingly crooked things in this life are really part of the perfect way that God has ordained for me, that he is leading me on to glory. Having all of that, beloved, are you and I going to say that's not enough? Are we going to say I have no reason to be thankful? Are we going to say I need this and this and this and then I'll be thankful to God? Of course not. And true, as I said earlier, this is difficult for us. Difficult for us as sinful, earthly-minded, covetous men and women and children to confess as well as to live. Pray, therefore, that God by his Spirit causes this to be your perspective and your confession so that you may have true Christian joy in your life and you may give true thankfulness to God every day. Amen. Father in heaven, bless to our hearts as well as to our lives 
and to us in this day of thanksgiving, thy word. Grant that we may rejoice in thee as the God of our salvation and give all thanks and praise to thee and to thee alone. In Christ's name, amen.